Hello and welcome to the Doxology Podcast. My name is Jens Nelson. My name is Lucas Stock. And this is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Thank you for joining us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life as we strive for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, it is it is the, the end of July. I don't know if that like makes sense to you on any sort of level, but t- to me, I cannot believe that we're just days away from it being August. Um, you know, that means for you, I guess, school will be starting soon. For me, it means really nothing is going to change as far as like what I'm doing on a day-to-day basis. It just means the seasons are blowing by quicker than they seem to, you know, when I was younger. So anyway, it's July. It's the final week of Mystery Month where we spent this, uh, you know, three or four weeks now where we've discussed these, these strange oddities of Scripture. Uh, we've talked about textual criticism, specifically dealing with the woman uh, caught in adultery. I have almost said woman at the well like 5,000 times this month. I don't know why, but we, we talked about the woman caught in adultery on, and if that passage should be included in the canon or not. Uh, we talked about behemoth and Leviathan. Um, uh, we talked about, oh man, why am I blanking on the other one we did? What was, oh, a- old age in Genesis where we old looked at the, uh, yeah, we looked at the old people, how, how they lived to be hundreds and hundreds of years old. Uh, and so far, every time we've discussed these things, uh, you know, these these quote-unquote mysteries, we've more or less come to the same conclusion or the same answer or or sometimes a non-answer because we weren't able to give a satisfactory actual answer. So I'm going to be curious if by the end of this one, it's if, if that's the case still. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about a very strange one. Uh, perhaps the greatest mystery, you could say. Uh, this this is something that uh, I, I before coming into this episode, I knew very little about. Like, I remember learning about it in Bible college. Uh, we had a whole day dedicated to, to the 70 weeks uh, found in Daniel 9. Um, but beyond that, like, I have very little knowledge or understanding of, of, of this idea. I know that you have a little bit more expertise. Um, but... One might argue that Daniel 9, uh, specifically verses 24 through 27, is both the most complex and the most crucial text in either testament bearing on the subject of biblical prophecy. Uh, It's one of those things that, you know, depending on your conclusion, depending on your interpretation, it really is critical. I mean, it, it, uh, it, it's especially if you're a dispensationalist or even if you're not a dispensationalist, I think at the end, we're going to see what this passage means. Uh, it means a little bit more for the dispensationalist, but without any further ado, like I said, we're talking about Daniel nine. We're talking specifically about his prophecy regarding the 70 weeks. What are they? What do you make of them? How do we interpret this difficult passage? I'm going to kick it over to my good friend, Lucas, and he's going to start us off. Well, First of all, I have to, you know, since we're on a podcast, I have to give the obligatory, I'm in the middle of moving in a new room with no furniture, nothing set up, so I may be a little even somehow more echoey than usual, but hopefully I will get things resolved relatively soon on that front. But as far as Daniel 9 goes, I like what you said about the most crucial, critical, vital text for coming to some kind of view or some kind of method of interpreting biblical prophecy. Um, this is definitely the whole 70 weeks thing. Like I can remember way back in, in 
in a Christian school in sixth grade, I remember in our Bible class learning about, you know, God's stopwatch that, you know, in, in Daniel nine, you know, he clicked it on and it tick, 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 tick for 70 weeks, you know, 70 periods of seven. And then at, after the 69th, he paused it and we're just waiting for him to, you know, click it again for that last period of seven, you know, after, after the, you know, very left behind, uh, and, you know, uh, you know, I don't think it'll be too much of a surprise if you've stuck around listening to us talk about, you know, anytime end time stuff comes up. Um, I don't think that's right, but it, it does show how important this text is for a topic that can be very out there uh, when it comes to the quote unquote end times um, through things also like left behind and various like cult movements that predict the end of the world. Like it's, it's a topic that's very easy to get um, interested in. It's very easy uh, to find people sharing, writing, speaking, whatever about what they think, you know, the end times means. And inevitably they're going to, they're going to go to some kind of prophecy or, you know, maybe not a prophecy, but they think it's a prophecy about why this president or that country or this war is, you know, a sign of the last seven years and the church is about to be raptured or whatever. But let's say, let's say that, you know, let's say what I'm saying is correct. And that's not what this passage is, is really all about, or at least not the best way to, to read it. Uh, it's, it still means something. It still has a meaning and um, it's still important to, to look at what that is uh, and recognize that this is the probably hardest <laughs> I don't know the hardest like few sentences that we've ever tried to talk about it you know if we were to just stack up all these episodes about mysteries all the episodes where we've worked through different chapters or passages or or uh, stories in scripture I mean realistically speaking I feel like this is by far the the least um, likely to come to any sort of meaningful, <laughs> conclusion in the sense of putting an end to all these questions well it's crazy because like um, this is a very yeah. short segment of scripture and so much quote-unquote can be extrapolated from it like people have taken this in so many different directions the articles that i read in preparation here i'm talking like these are some of the longest articles i've had to read for preparation and again it's just covering a couple verses but I, it blows my mind so you i think you're yeah. right yeah and so that's a good that's a good place to start, I think, is there are so many trajectories you can take because there is a lot of, you know, no pun intended, there's a lot of sort of mystery that's going on here, just in the sense of there's a lot of language and um references to time that that is is it's it's an apocalyptic prophetic piece of literature it's very difficult to grasp as maybe concretely or as straightforwardly as we might like or wish that it was especially considering that there's this section in our bible speaking about something happening in the future you know like it it this is it it kind of draws you into trying to find out what the answer is and i think that there this is in scripture for a reason and i think that it is by no means impossible to 
interpret it, but it is, um, has been, you know, whether we like it or not, it has been interpreted in many different ways in, from many different perspectives. There's a few, like, uh, there's a few starting points um, that are just, well, really one starting point that's kind of just agreed by everyone. And then there are some, like, major um, sort of, like, main views. I, I, I have found, uh, like, four, like, major, four major views, four major kinds of views. I'm sure that we could come up with all kinds of other ones or different versions of these, but I think that they give kind of a good representation of different imp- major directions you can go depending on some of your presuppositions or some of what you're trying to um, apply to to the context of Daniel and also the the, the text here in chapter 9. So the thing that, that that's sort of just agreed upon by people from all different perspectives is the, the sevens that is being referred to, you know, the 70 sevens, the 70 weeks, don't refer to seven... 70 seven day periods like a week in terms of just the normal everyday use of that word but it's it's a set it's each seven is a period of seven years um it's not you know periods of seven thousand years or periods of seven days or periods of seven hours like um if, if you look at if you look at contextually and we'll see in a second um some of the 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 like historical markers that we can point to the the scale of time being referred to when you look at um, the text and the references in context are pretty clearly um, seven-year periods, which means, you know, 70 sevens or 70 weeks comes to roughly um, 490 years. Again, we'll come back to that, but um, you can kind of see how, how that's working. So in summary, the angel Gabriel comes to Daniel and he tells him about these these seventy sevens. He starts with seven sevens or seven weeks, uh, at which point Jerusalem is going to be rebuilt. And then there are sixty two sevens, at the end of which the anointed one would be cut off. Um, and then there's a final seven, which brings us up to seventy. Uh, that's kind of subdivided into two halves, and in the middle of that seven. There's this prince uh, who seems to be an enemy of Israel, seems to be, uh, you know, standing in war against Jerusalem, uh, that this prince is going to make a covenant, and that happens halfway through. So if we look at these these four basic ways of taking this data, um, you can have, like, a very, very literal view, right? Right. so you can just say, well, there's there's this clock that starts ticking. Um, we have, based on uh, what Daniel references, we've got this decree uh, from, from Jeremiah where he prophesies uh, that when Israel's exile will end. Seven, they'll be in exile in Babylon for 70 years, and at the end of that, uh, they will be sent back. And so you start the clock then, and then you count 77s. Um, and then that basically brings you forward a few centuries to the, um, from the end of the exile to this great persecution, which, which might be familiar to listeners under Antiochus Epiphanes, who was this Greek, 
um, king who was ruling over over the land of Israel at the time. This is this is after Alexander the Great, before the birth of Christ. Um, Antiochus Epiphanes, he is this sort of just historical arch, you know, blasphemer. He sacrifices. He he goes into the holy of holies and sacrifices a pig on the altar, like God's altar. <laughs> uh, sacrifices a pig to Zeus and go read the <laughs> go go read Leviticus or or Exodus if you don't know why that's such a big deal. But um, so this this literal view you you can take it. It, it just sort of exactly as it says, we've got this this time span until fr- from from the end of the exile to this to this great persecution. And that matches this this, you know, sort of final seven where you've got this prince that's making this covenant. And he's this he's this desolate, you know, he brings this abomination of desolation, this this very famous phrase that Jesus uses in in uh, Matthew 24, I believe um, his own, you know, kind of major apocalyptic eschatological sermon that he gives in the gospel there um which this is this is great um because it's very straightforward it's easy to it's easy to understand okay you're talking about 77s here are 77s and and um sort of the benefit of this view is that it's very clear and consistent what a seven is there's no messing around you know it, it just it is what it is and, you know, if, we, if we're going to go with years, then we're going to go with years. And that's what it means. The problem is that, like, this doesn't really work. Um, because if you, if, you, if you start at the end of the exile and then calculate 490 years, you're, like, 65 years past Antiochus Epiphanes. So that doesn't fit. So it's kind of hard to see how that could be, you know, a... a a literal application of a prophecy. Um, another another view is to sort of recognize that this is sort of abstract, not abstract, but it's difficult to to it's 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 somewhat unclear prophetic apocalyptic language. So we shouldn't we shouldn't be looking for exact dates where we can say on this day at this time. Um, is when the the seventy sevens start. Here's when it ends. Here's what happens. You know, after the first seven, and then the sixty two, and halfway through the seventy. You know, all that kind of stuff. Um, but instead, we can we can kind of look at it from a almost like a bird's eye view. We can look at okay, we've got the seventy sevens, and what what is the point? You know, if you look at what's going on during these these seventy sevens, if you look at the the events that are being prophesied. What, what's the point? Well, it's this messianic focus, right? Which means we should focus on the messianic aspect of this prophecy as well. Which again is great because it, it keeps us grounded not only in, the, in the, the actual prophecy of the text, you know, it's talking about the anointed one being cut off. It's, the, you know, the focus is on the rebuilding of Jerusalem, the coming of the anointed one, all that kind of thing. But the other thing is we are given 77s, right? So, Maybe we don't want to be so interested in, you know, getting getting down to the to the the day and the month and the year when these sevens fall. We can go too far the other way and just kind of be like, well, we we maybe just want to look at the general gist of it and and we don't need to be too concerned with the numbers. 
you know, and I'm, I'm sympathetic to that view. I think that if we're going to have to pick one side to emphasize, we should we should emphasize like the actual content of what's being prophesied, you know, more than just dates. But I don't think we need to pick that. And and if we do end up emphasizing the the, the messianic focus over the chronology, then we're just left with we've done our work, our hermeneutics, and we, and we haven't actually dealt with the the time aspect an even worse version of this uh you can just take the whole thing as symbolic and metaphorical um and just kind of put all kinds of of weird spins on things that really have nothing to do with with daniel with jeremiah with with the exile other biblical prophecies um and i think that 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 taking it to that extreme just it ends up just you, you just lose the text. You're just no longer working with the text. You're just kind of using it as a launching point to bring your own sort of symbolism into it, um, which just doesn't really work as a as a as a serious exegetical interpretation of a prophecy that that is recorded um, by Daniel here. I think what what I'm most the, if if you're going to put me into one of these four camps, this last one, which you know I kind of call a, a a more grounded symbolism. So it's not just, we're not just off in space coming up with what we think, you know, that these numbers make us think of or whatever. Um, but we are recognizing the idea that um, there is a symbolic aspect to this. There is, because we're dealing with prophecy, we're not, we're not just dealing with foretelling the future, but we're dealing with foretelling God's, God's plan, God's word, God's, God's deeds. Um, so, there's there's a sense in which these sevens aren't literal to the degree where we're going to go from this day and this year up to this day and this year, but they they're they are they are connected to actual historical events, and if we take a look at at what Jeremiah says about the end of the exile, what Daniel says in the earlier parts of Daniel nine before he's given this vision of seventy sevens by Gabriel, um, we see you know references to like Jerusalem being rebuilt. Well. Okay, there is a there there are actually decrees in history for Jerusalem to be rebuilt, right? So in 539 BC, Cyrus, uh, the king of Persia, I guess at that point, Media Persia, um, who we who we read about and we see in Daniel, who takes over Babylon, the 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 Peds, the Medes and Persians <laughs> take over Babylon. Cyrus, their king, does send the exiles back, right? There, there. He gives a decree for the Jews to be able to return back to Judea and rebuild Jerusalem. There's also a decree in 445 BC, so, you know, almost 100 years later, um, that is given to Nehemiah, who returns and, and fully rebuilds the city, right? So we've got these, there are some options here, you know, there are these two decrees, but we can see how there's there's a there's a groundedness right um seven sevens from the going out of the word to return into the building of jerusalem until the anointed one so we've got real historical events that ground the the path that we're taking in terms of actually interpreting this um and then we 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 can keep going like this right and um, we've got, 
we've got all kinds of markers that we can that we can follow. Um, you know, we can talk about how um, there there is a real historical sense in which we 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 know that Israel, you know Jeremiah prophesied Israel would be in exile for seventy years, and they were in Babylon. And we can also see how that itself, while being literal, refers to something that contains a deeper meaning. Because for um, we, we read at the end of Jeremiah, he specifically says to Israel, prophesying, you are going to go into exile where the land is going to get its Sabbath rests. It is going to get, you, you know, every um, seven years, the Israelites were, were, according to the law, they were supposed to let the land rest, give it a Sabbath, um, which itself has all of these spiritual theological connotations and underpinnings about the creation of the world and the rhythm that God had put into creation for work and rest and all that kind of stuff. They ignored that law and they, they skipped over 70 of these, you know, every seven year Sabbaths. 70 times seven is 400 years. So you, you miss 70 Sabbaths, the land's going to get its 70 Sabbaths by you going into exile for 70 years. But then you've got this continued motif of these seven, 70 and 7 um, with the 490, the 77s in Daniel. So there, there's, there's this broader picture that I think, um, and this is where, where, why I say I would, I would most fall into this some sort of view like this, where there's this, there's this broad symbolism going on. And symbolism's not the right word. There's this broad... Um, spiritual sense where you look at the 77s and it's this it's this completeness it's 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 letting the land rest it's judgment for the for the sins of of neglecting god's law and neglecting the land by not letting it rest and if you look at everything that's supposed to happen during the 77s you know i'll just read from this text real quick 77s, this is uh, verse 24, 77s are determined for your people, for your holy city to complete the punishment, seal up the sins, cover iniquity, bring in eternal righteousness, seal up the vision and prophet, and anoint a holy of holies. So this these are some pretty like, dare I say, eschatological events. E- bring in eternal righteousness? <laughs> like, that hasn't happened. <laughs> I mean, you just have to walk two two steps down the street and you'll you'll find some kind of unrighteousness. Um, sin is still sin is still happening. Sin hasn't been sealed up, right? So so I'll kind of stop there and we've got these different trajectories and I've kind of shown, you know, put kind of all my cards down on the table where I want to look at this as a prophecy rooted in real real history because God works in history. We've got Jerusalem historically being rebuilt. We've got this prince um, who just who who engages in in this war against Jerusalem, and we've got a Messiah who is who is cut off. Christ is crucified. Um, I, I I've read the the work of of a theologian who literally calculates to the day, <laughs> to the day from Nehemiah's like it's like March something where Nehemiah is is given the decree to go back to the day like April thirtieth or something. Uh, that Jesus is crucified and he gets there. It's, it's a whole rabbit trail. But um, the point is um, this is old Testament prophecy. It's about Jesus. If you, if you ever are wondering what a passage is about, Jesus is a good answer because it's all about him. And there's, there are these historical events 
Jerusalem is rebuilt. Jesus is crucified, right? But there's also, we're, 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 we're able to look back on the sevens, but we're also in the middle of the sevens, right? There's this other sense where we haven't reached the fullness of time. The 77s haven't been completed in the sense that the kingdom has been brought in and, um, you know, those that list of things that are going to happen during the 77s. Some things have happened. Some things we've seen and... Um, we are, we are very clearly in a different, you know, epoch of time than Daniel was living after the coming of the Messiah. But also Jesus ha- has yet to come back, right? We are living before this fullness of time where everything is eventually going to be put in subjection under, under Christ's feet. And we're not going to have to, you know, deal with sin and unrighteousness and all that stuff. So I might have gotten a little lost in the sauce, but I think that that hits some some important distinctions where we can go in these different directions. And what I the direction I want to go in is to do what I think, you know, in my humble opinion, is doing justice to the text by not ignoring the fact that we're not looking at you know a modern day calendar with to do list things put on different dates Um, but we're also not just living in la la land where we can get to just make up anything we want as long as we you know can tie it back to the number seven or something Mm. so i i i think that it's the reason this is so hard to interpret and the reason it it lends itself to so many different ways of interpreting it isn't because it's meaningless or it's not because you need some kind of secret knowledge to get it but but because it's it's very in very short few verses it's giving a prophecy that refers to to historical you know earthly events that have happened in time and we can plot on a timeline as well as bigger spiritual eschatological realities that are happening will happen you know we might even want to question if we should even be talking about time at that level you know like like that's where I'll, let's, well, that's where I'll stop. Uh, but those are sort of the views that I have found, um, or at least the major themes that I found in terms of how people tend to go about interpreting this passage. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. And I, I have like a thousand thoughts rolling through my own mind here and trying to think of the best way to, to, to bridge what you said to what I want to say. But I... I guess one way to start is by saying, obviously, we've mentioned this on on the air before, but Lucas and I are uh, undergrad graduates of Moody Bible Institute. Um, I guess Lucas also took uh, an additional year getting a master's um, at their theological seminary as well. And so we, uh, at least for a portion of our lives, were pretty ingrained within um, dispensational premillennial theology. I mean, that was sort of just the the nature of the school. I mean, <laughs> Lucas and I lived in Jenkins. That's the name of the building that we lived in, which is named after Jerry B. Jenkins, uh, a person who went to the school, a person who donated a lot of money to the school because he got really rich and famous by writing left behind books and making movies. So, you know, we're, we're, we were... At least I was. I don't know if Lucas got as deep as I was, but for a good period of time, I was pretty deep in the dispensational world. I mean, I, I'm thinking back to a class I had called Bible Intro, where, like I mentioned in the beginning, we spent an entire day 
really, and this, I think this was like an hour and a half class. So we spent a good portion of time like going deep into this passage. And I remember my, my professor's up there and he's giving all of the like, um, you know, very specific days and times and how this, uh, how the calendar works to give you this date and then this date and like, look how all these things line up. And what gets really confusing is like, well, you know, back in this day, they had a 360 day calendar because the calendar was uh, lunar as opposed to today. We have 365 days, so it's solar. So you have to like do this math and this recalculation to get this approximate date. And that leads us to this. And so Man, I remember at the time just being like mind blown by everything that was being explained to me. And I I can't even reiterate it back to you at this precise moment. Um, but like the further I've drifted away from that dispensational theology, the dispensational premillennial camp, um, the more that I'm like, man, I thought scripture was supposed to be clear. And maybe, maybe we need to have like a definition of what clear means. Um, but to me, to have to do all this like <laughs> calculation and math and to have even like the foreknowledge that like our years are different from the way that like have you ever um have you ever seen like, like yeah. charts? Yep. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> A dispensational so chart of, of human history and all the dispensations or whatever. Yeah. I I have seen the charts. They are mind-bending. And it's almost like a whole MCU. I don't know if you were keeping up with the news yesterday about the uh uh, you know, the next phases of the MCU, but that's what like dispensational theology feels like. Sometimes you have like 30 different movies with intertwining like connections, yet they can be separate and distinct or whatever. Um, but all that to say, um, yeah, the, the, the this passage, uh, it's, it's, it's brief, it's short, like you said, but it's also theologically packed. Like you said, there are implications. And so as I've said, over time, Uh, I've drifted away from the dispensational view, and I've come to sort of see the meaning of this text uh, as being one that is theological, not calendrical, if that's a word. So the the point is the theological implication. It's not the calendar. The point of this passage is not to be like, look, we hit every single date as we said we were supposed to. Like if it was that easy, God could have just like plainly told us, like Gabriel could have come to Daniel and been like, on this day, this is going to happen. On this day, this is going to happen. On this day, this is going to happen. But obviously we we didn't get that. We have something that's a little bit more shrouded in mystery. We have we have these 77s, these, these weeks, so to speak, these 490 years or whatever. Um, and so the, the 70 weeks are not designed to establish precise chronological parameters for redemptive history necessarily. Uh, it does that. The, it, the, the reality is, like you said, Lucas, is like these things happened. They happened in space, in time, in history. But that is, the point is not like, um, man, what, what I'm trying to say is like so many people get so focused on prophetic passages because they they like the intrigue of it. They like this like vague explanation of something and like the interpretation and coming to these crazy drawn out conclusions. And when we do that, like, sure, maybe we can be right five times out of ten, but we're also missing like the actual point. Um, these, the, these, these 70 weeks, the point of this passage is meant to serve to evoke a theological image and like we've said it's it's messiah it's it's messianic that god will work out the final jubilee of redemptive history um 
And so again, this is this is in a sense symbolic. This is in a sense um, still not yet fulfilled because we are still waiting for the eternal perfected jubilee that will appear, which is the new heavens and the new earth that Revelation 21 through 22 talk about. And so that that to me is like, like so you you mentioned earlier like that stopwatch uh, that that has always kind of like tripped me up a little bit the fact that we're like in between the 69th and 70 week and it's like if that like why if this was supposed to be actually chronological and calendrical and we're we're focused on the dates and everything like why would there be several thousand years of this like stopwatch where it's paused and like who's to say when it's going to like when the clock is going to finally kick back in and things are going to end. Like, why wouldn't the passage address that? Like what there, there, to me, there are more, more complications, more questions, more problems, even like the deeper that you go into this, like hyper focus, like this hyper awareness of the times and the dates. Um, and, and the thing for me too, is like, I, I mentioned how these are, these are very brief, very short pass or, uh, uh, verses in this passage um, yet so many things have been ex- extrapolated and I just wanted to touch on a couple just to show you where people have taken this and and this is more or less a dispensational view um, but they've derived these things largely from Daniel 9 um, and these are you know more distinctive doctrinal and prophetic themes so number one a distinctive divine program for Israel and the church. If you know anything about dispensational theology, there are these almost, it seems like, two people of God. You have Israel and you have the church and you have like these different focuses based on the different covenants and the different eras and the different epochs of history. And one day it's all going to, you know, come to fruition the way that it says. But um, it, dur- during during this time, like God's purpose for Israel is suspended and his purpose for the church is engaged. So like God isn't dealing with Israel right now, at least not the same way that he once dealt with Israel because God's now dealing with the church. And so like this gap um, makes sense. Like this is the church age, so to speak, of, of dispensationalism. Um, uh, number two, the reality of a future period of intense tribulation, precisely seven years in length during which the divine program for Israel is resumed. So again, we're right now we're in this gap. We're, we're on this pause Uh, It's the era, the epoch, the dispensation of the church. But in the future, this tribulation is going to come. And that's when the, you know, God's working with Israel, so to speak, resumes. Um, Another thing that is derived from here is the the rebuilding of a temple in Jerusalem at the inception of this seven-year period and its subsequent destruction. Uh, Number four, uh, lastly here, is the emergence of a personal antichrist who will establish a seven-year covenant with Israel reinstitute the Levitical sacrificial system only to break the covenant after three and one half years. Um, so again, this, this, we could, we could have a whole episode and maybe we will someday have an episode on like dispensational theology or something and some of the distinctives of it. But, uh, to me, this is, this is not, uh, the, the, the purpose or the point, even if, even if, dispensationalists are right about the things that they claim to be right about. I don't think that's what this passage is about. That is not the purpose of Daniel 9. Um, because even when you when you consider other passages of scripture, I mean, there, in, in some sense, all of the Old Testament and all of the New Testament is prophetic. I mean, it's, it's a divinely inspired text that is given to a people uh, 
you know, in a way that uh, foretells, that looks forward. You know, if you were living under the old covenant, you had the the promised hope of a coming Messiah. And today, as Christians living in the New Testament or, or in the New Covenant, we have our, our our New Testament book that that foretells that foretells of the coming day where Jesus returns, makes all things new. You know, new heavens, new earth, um, everything like that. And you know, I. <laughs> I, 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 the, 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 a big problem that I have is that people use scripture to do things like what dispensationalists do with Daniel 9, but they do it with other passages too, whether it's Revelation, um, whether it's some other, you know, something in Jude, but they, they take these texts that were written at a time in a place for a purpose for, for, for life and godliness, um, but they make it out to be this, uh, prophetical mystery that only now can we unlock because we have secret hidden knowledge that the original audience maybe didn't have. And so like we understand the true intended purpose or maybe even like worse than that is like there was no purpose when it was originally written. Like only now can we have the the intended meaning and purpose because now we're living through it and we understand it. Like I just, I, I just, I have a problem with that sort of uh, that framework, that sort of, um, theological mindset. And I say this as like being somebody who knows quite a few people or who are like deep in the weeds on that sort of thing, who, who are really into quote unquote biblical prophecy and, uh, getting these new prophetic revelations from what we have in scripture and some outside of scripture. Um, and so my, my whole thing is like tread lightly, be cautious, um, I don't know. Now, now I'm just rambling. I'm curious if you have anything else you want to say. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Yeah. I think, I think like to, to sort of tie a bow, like in some sense, like we, we don't have six hours, so we're not going to be able to dive through all the details because there's, there's plenty of stuff with, with like you brought up like, Oh, you know, a solar calendar versus a lunar calendar versus, you know, taking into account these changes in the calendar taking into account, you know, all of these things, like there's, there's so much more to be said about the details of interpretation that that's just beyond the scope of what we can do today here. Um, and evaluating certain aspects of, um, you know, eschatological claims, whether it be dispensational or amillennial or anything like that. Um, and how Daniel nine fits into that, you know, like questions like what's up with that gap between the 69th and the 70th week? And how does that make sense? You know, what is the relationship between the church and Israel? All of these things are important and relevant questions that Daniel 9 is, you know, it brings up all these questions and all of these questions should, if you're going to answer them, take into account, among other things, this this passage. But without being able to or, or really being the point to to try today to get into all of those details, there's the, you know, I, I think, you know, I, I want to maintain that there is a quote unquote real quote unquote literal thing that that's being or, or you know, series of things that 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 is prophesied, that that is part of biblical prophecy, biblical prophecy, you know, in the sense of you know, prophecies that are in the Bible, not in the sense of like these movements with that are writing books about, you know, modern day geopolitics and stuff. But, um, you know, you know, and even as I say that, like, there's a very silly way to do it, but I'm not going to say that the Bible doesn't speak to modern day geopolitics. You know, you get what I'm saying, though. Um, and I do, I do just think, think that, like, the only other thing I want to add is just, like, 
staying rooted in the text means taking the text literally, which nobody thinks about this. Well, that's not true. Like, like we don't use this word thinking like this, but that means, you know, literal means according to the words that are given. And these are words that are, that are given in a certain context and mean something that don't just mean we just got to figure out the right dates to plug into our equation to make our chart to figure out this secret knowledge. Hmm. It does mean that there there is something being communicated to God's people. And there are other there are other presuppositions like I I do like the idea of diving a little deeper into um some of these questions from the perspective of of not just end times but just dispensational theology in general um and why we've despite being educated in a dispensational context neither of us would identify our theology is really fitting in that context anymore point being we want to stay rooted in the text i was about to say nobody disagrees with that that's not true <laughs> lots of people do we want to stay rooted in the text and we and, and and i'm just convinced that there's a better way to do that that's actually more faithful to the text and i think that a big piece of that is keeping in mind this bigger picture and that is, it's really tricky because it's hard to do that without ignoring the details, you know? It's hard to do that without choosing to forget about dates because because God works in history. He is concerned with dates. But there's there's just more, it's not enough to try and find the, the right clock, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think that's, that's, that's where I would want to like direct us to be like, um, this is a hard word. <laughs> yeah, I think another. I think another episode worth doing is is what does it mean for the Bible to be clear? Like you said, like we need that. We need to define that before we can even decide if we think it is or not. You know. Yeah. But <laughs> but anyway, like like th- this is a hard. Th- you know this this <laughs> interpreting this kind of passage and this passage in particular calls for. <laughs> patient endurance on the part of the saints um you know to fit with the end times theme but um but i do think that there are things and principles that we ought to keep in mind that can help give us some guardrails or maybe even not guardrails but just like signposts to kind of point us in the right direction right starting points and i hope that we've been able to touch on some of that and also kind of you know point out a little bit of what we see as potential pitfalls that that I mean, weeds is a good image, getting caught in the weeds with this kind of stuff, you know, just like trying to trudge through completely overgrown weeds. Like it's a good image because you just get, you get tangled up and lost. And I'm not sitting here trying to be on a high horse saying that this or that perspective is wrong. I'm just trying to say like, here are some, here's some dangers I see. And here's some things I think that are faithful to the text's actual meaning that can guide our hermeneutics. And I, I would hope that we're, we're, uh, you know, on the right track with that. But I certainly thus far in my limited study have, have sort of been convinced of that. So I think that's kind of what, what I have to say. Yeah. Um, just kind of, kind of to wrap up my, my piece there. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think at the end of the day for, for Daniel specifically, I mean, Daniel is the one who's receiving this. I mean, he's being told of, of something great that's to come. I mean, it, Daniel knew well the history of his people. As he was uh, someone caught in exile, he knew 
the theological implications. He knew even just the practical implications of having been a people who hadn't lived faithfully, who had been sent out into the world, into exile. That, in in, in a sense, even that that physical, that real exile, that real bondage, um, it is a picture of of our state in sin too. We we have been living and had been living in exile. We had been. Um, you know, cut off from the the, the fountainhead, so to speak, uh, the source of our our joy and salvation. Um, and so, this prophetic passage, as difficult as it maybe is to understand, especially today for us, um, I, I think it is. And I say this, <laughs> I almost said, I think it's clear. Maybe maybe that's not the right way to use that word, but I think at the end, it is clear that this is meant to secure. The, the ultimate salvation, not just physical Israel being restored to physical land, um, but we're talking about release, redemption, restoration. I mean, the purpose of j- Jubilee, what Jubilee looked forward to, uh, life with Christ forevermore in the new heavens and the new earth. Um, I mean, Jesus, I think, is that, uh, the, the Jubilee of God. He is, he is everything that the year of Jubilee prefigured, uh, he is the fulfillment of and more. Um, and so even if Daniel didn't understand that because he didn't know who Jesus was or necessarily when, when Jesus would arrive on the scene and what he would do in totality, uh, I think the, the point still stands as we look at scripture from Genesis to Revelation, like you said, this story of, of, of fall, um, redemption, restoration, the, the think about even in uh, Genesis three fifteen that, that first promise of a coming redeemer, a coming person who would, who would, uh, restore what had been fractured. I mean, in a sense, that's prophetic, uh, that, that is looking forward to the restoration that would be to come. Um, and it's the same thing to Daniel here. This is God using a messenger to communicate his, his, his salvation, his redemption. Um, but I think the, the ways that that's interpreted to someone who was an Israelite, I think, I mean, you can even get this from the New Testament is a lot of them thought that was physical restoration of, of a people in a physical place. Whereas as we know now, it is, it is more spiritual. We're talking about spiritual restoration, uh, spiritual freedom, a spiritual kingdom, one that is to come, um, and so again, as much as we think we can understand something, sometimes it can just have a, a greater uh, theological implication. So I don't know. That's sort of where I'm going to land. I don't. I, I feel like I haven't been super clear in my articulation of of this Daniel passage because it's just so complicated and convoluted. But I think uh, hopefully we've done our part well, and uh, maybe it's clear to you, listeners. I don't know. You let us know. I'm sure it's crystal clear everyone listening um we'll wrap up with a prayer and uh we will you know i it maybe it's topical at least it's it's closely you can find it real close to this passage the the earlier part of daniel 9 consists of a prayer of repentance that daniel is praying um before gabriel comes with this message so we wanted to to conclude with that prayer um and hopefully, despite its unique context, we can definitely um, pray with Daniel in these words. So let's pray. O Lord, the great and terrible God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from thy commandments and ordinances. We have not listened to thy servants, the prophets, who spoke in thy name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. 
To thee, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us confusion of face, as at this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and to all Israel, those that are near and those that are far away, and all the lands to which thou hast driven them because of the treachery which they have committed against thee. To us, O Lord, belongs confusion of face, to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness, because we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by following his laws, which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed thy law and turned aside, refusing to obey thy voice. And the curse and oath which are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us, because we have sinned against him. He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us, by bringing upon us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done the like of which has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us, yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from our iniquities and giving heed to thy truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and has brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works which he has done, and we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who didst bring thy people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and hast made thee a name, as at this day, we have sinned, we have done wickedly. O Lord, according to all thy righteous acts, let thy anger and thy wrath turn away from thy holy city Jerusalem, thy holy hill. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people have become a byword among all who are round about us. Now therefore, O our God, hearken to the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications. And for thy own sake, O Lord, cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline thy ear and hear. Open thy eyes and behold our desolations in the city which is called by thy name. For we do not present our supplications before thee on the ground of our righteousness, but on the ground of thy great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, give heed and act. Delay not for thy own sake, O my God, because thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Very powerful (laughs) prayer of repentance there. And uh, I think that kind of hammers home this broader, you know, message that this this uh this prophecy is 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 being given uh in order to communicate uh more than just some 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 calendar dates anyway we want to thank you for tuning in uh i'm kind of sad that that uh mystery month is over um i feel like it flew by but it's been a really fun one uh i'd love to do more stuff like this um I don't know. These are these are these are these are some really fun topics. So I know we've got a couple that are on the same track uh, planned out. So um, we probably won't have to wait too long for more of that. But thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in this month. Thanks for the support. If you'd like to connect with us, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Always available by email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. We'd love your feedback, questions, future episode ideas, future mystery ideas. Whatever you've got, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, we'll see you. Peace out.